0: Uh, your brains on, your hearts open. I need you to be able to uh, keep up with me because I've got to work through these notes pretty quickly. Is that all right? So we're looking at this: facing the fears that ruin relationships. We're all, we all got relationships. Is that right? Raise your hand if you're in a relationship, whether that's as a as a husband and wife, whether that's as a parent to a child, whether that's as a friend to a friend, a child to a mother, a father. Put your hand up if you're in a relationship. Come on, there's no one missed out there. You're in a relationship with a boss. You're in a relationship with Jesus. There you go. You've got your hand up if you've got your hand... I didn't say put your hand down. Come on, what's going on? Hands up if you're in a relationship. All right, put your left hand up if you've got problems in your relationship. I didn't say put your right hand down. There you go, look, we're listening now. All right, so hand in hand, right? Relationships, they... We've all in them, so it relates to all of us. Is that right? And every one of you that I saw had your left hand up, which means that every one of us are not just in relationships; we got problems in our relationships. So this is a message for each of us, right? So we're going to work through this together and helping us unpack what the Bible says about transforming our relationships. Do we all want to transform our relationships? Yeah. Who's not sure? Okay, well, your relationships can be changed. They can be transformed. They can become more like the way God wants them to be. You so see, it all starts for us by diffusing the fears that ruin relationships. To do that, we're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very first relationship. Genesis chapter 3, we see, um, leading up to Genesis chapter 3, that God created the earth. He said it was good. He created everything. He created all that we see and all that happened he put into process. And he did so because is a God of relationship. See, God in himself, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in, in uh, perfect harmony, wanted to express The fullness of His love. Because the Bible tells us that God is love. Is that right? God is love. And therefore, if there is love in God, it wasn't designed, He didn't want it to be just love in Himself. Love has to look like something. Therefore, He created the earth for the objects of His love, you and I, to be put on this earth. That everything in the earth that we needed was here and he created it to be perfect so that the object of his love, humanity, could be placed in a place of safety. So he created it so that he could be in relationship with you, with Adam, and with Eve, and through all of eternity be in relationship with us. He wanted to create the earth because he wanted to create a sustaining environment because he wanted human beings to be in a place where they could receive love from God and give love in return. Is that right? Yep, awesome. So we're all on the same page there. So God made Adam and he put him in the garden. We know that. We know the story really well. He he made Adam. He put him in the garden for two reasons. He wanted Adam to realize uh, what he would need in his own life. And second, I think God made Adam and then thought, I could do better. So he made Eve. Is that right, guys? God made Adam and then thought I could do better. So he decided to create Eve. We can have a bit of fun with the book of Genesis. We can have a little bit of fun and, and have a bit of a laugh around the relationships of Adam and Eve. Uh, so don't take these jokes too seriously. Take them with a little bit of lightheartedness because you can have a poke at each other and, and, and have a good so, a good time. Amen. So so God did it intentionally intentionally because he wanted Adam to know that he was missing something. Adam Adam named all the beasts of the field, and he named all the birds of the air, but he found no helpmate for him. He he was missing something. What he was missing was someone that was of his kind, someone he could be in relationship with, someone that not not only he could just receive the love of God from, but he could also impart the love of God to, because love has to look like something. So we see that God makes Adam of the dust out of the dirt of the earth and he creates Adam in his image. Then he creates Adam, uh, then he creates woman out of man. We all know that, don't we? He didn't make Eve out of the dust of the ground. He made Eve out of where? Out of, the, out of his side. He, he caused Adam to fall asleep and And we'll have a bit of a poke at this one as well. He took a a rib out of the side of Adam. And and imagine if God didn't close up that wound. Just imagine for a moment that he's got this open wound there. He's in a deep sleep. He wakes, wakes up and he goes, oh, oh. Oh, He looks up the first thing he sees is Eve. And he goes, oh, man, oh, man, she's a pain in my side. Imagine if that was what the picture was like. We know it wasn't like that at all, eh? I mean, ultimately, guys, we know it was actually the other way. He's in a deep sleep. He's had a peaceful dream. And he wakes up and goes, whoa, man, she's awesome. We know that that's what it's like, don't we? But when you talk about relationships, the reality is in our world, not in Adam and Eve's world, but in our world, the, rela- the reality is actually relationships cause Pain in our side at times, yeah. If you've got trouble in your relationships, they can hurt. They cause us emotional pain. They can cause us a uh, mental stress. Uh, if you if not my relationship, don't think I'm explaining my relationship. But if you do something wrong, guys, the, the woman can jab you in the in the ribs, and it could hurt, right? Almost like she's reminding you that she's from you and she's trying to sort you out. But in the end, we see God created Adam out of the dirt which means guys like to play in the dirt, don't we, fellas? So girls, you can't complain when we come home all grubby and, and dirty and and we've been playing around with grease and all that sort of stuff because, you know, like dirt to dirt, all that sort of stuff. But, but God creates Adam, uh, Eve out of the side of man. And the symbolism in this is beautiful. He didn't take Eve from the feet, did he? Like, he didn't put an extra sixth toe on Adam's right foot and cut that off and make Eve out of it because, well, he didn't want man to lord it over the woman. He, he, didn't take, he didn't take a hair off of Adam's head and create Eve or else Adam wouldn't have been able to say, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I mean, hair's not quite flesh, is it? So, but, but he didn't take Eve from the head because on the reverse side, he doesn't want the women to control the men, Right? So so the symbolism is that he took A from the side so that together, husband and wife can walk together in this world. And it's the same principle that relates not just to husband and wife. It it actually goes through all of humanity because we're not supposed to be lording it over anybody. We all come from the same place. Every one of us have been born of a mum. Yeah, We should honour our mums for that. Every one of us have had a a father that's fathered us. So from that point, we should honor our father, amen? And we, we continue to do this in our relationships. Each relationship has its uniqueness that needs to be brought about. See, so Adam and Eve were placed in this garden where there was no sadness, there was no sickness, there was no sorrow. It doesn't sound like paradise, doesn't it? No suffering, no deceit, no lying, no manipulating, and no jealousy wants to go there it's not love island i can tell you that anyway none of these things in uh were in their relationship they were only uh, the only couple adam and eve are the only couple that have never had a relational problem up until the point that we're about to read they're the only couple that had a perfect relationship they had a perfect relationship with their father god and they had a perfect relationship with one another it's a beautiful thing until we get to Genesis chapter 3. We know the enemy comes in intense. tents. We know the story, the snake slips in, uh, challenges what God says. But if we boil it all down, the question that Eve had received from the serpent wasn't that you'll be like God, it'll be that you'll be God in your life. You'll have the knowledge of God to rule the way that you want to rule, not the way he wants you to rule. Satan never comes to us and says, be like me. Be like Satan, does he? You know, he's not going to capture you out in that lie. No one wants to be like him at all. Well, sadly, in our broken world today, there are people who want to be like him. But ultimately, for most people, we don't want to be like him. So he masquerades as a child of light, doesn't he? Or an angel of light. And he comes and he says, you know, you can be like God. You should do whatever you want to do. And that's what he did with Eve. He's like, you can be the God of your life. And Eve fell for that lie. So we can can poke fun at Eve and Adam because of the mistakes they made. We can make a joke of it. We can deal with them when we meet them on the other side of eternity. You made a lot of fun of me. Or we can go to God and say, where am I in all of this? What's my position in my relationship with you, in my relationship with the world? So let's read Genesis chapter 3. It says this, So Eve ate some of the fruit. Then she also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Immediately their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Hmm. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves then they heard the lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from god among the trees but god called out to adam where are you adam replied i heard you coming and i was afraid because i was naked so i hid and god asked who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from. Adam said, You gave me this woman, and she gave me this fruit. So I ate. Then God said to Eve, Why, why did you why did you do this? And Eve replied, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So God said to Eve, Because you disobeyed me. You'll have greater trouble in pregnancy and great pain in childbirth. And though you'll desire your husband, he's going to lord it over you. And God said to Adam, Because you also disobeyed me and sinned, it should be, with your wife, the ground you work is now cursed. And though you'll get to eat what you planted, your fields will have weeds and thorns and thistles. Who hates weeds and thorns and thistles? Anyone? Anyone ever done some gardening and stuck their finger in to rip out a weed and you've pulled up a handful of catheads? It's not a nice feeling, is it? Hmm. So we can thank Adam for those and we can thank Eve for pain in childbirth. Is that right? In the end, in the end, it comes to most people. The three basic fears that ruin our relationship. This story is a fascinating story filled with enormous amounts of spiritual truth. But I just want to point out this relational truths because in this story, we see three Basic fundamental fears that pop up in every single relationship. You can use uh, what we're going to look at today in your grow group, um, in your in your families, in your relationships with your spouse, relationship with your parents. Uh, you can use this in your relationships with your workmates, in your relationships with your boss, uh, employee-employer relationship. These these things run through all of our relationships. They even run through sometimes your relationships here at church, even from, from uh pastor and, and uh, we'll use the, the Bible term sheep kind of uh, relationship. Okay, So understand that that these sorts of things run through all of them. They're fundamental fears that pop up and often they can pop up on a regular basis, almost every day. Does that make sense? So you can use these. Um, and, and, and the keys that I'm going to give you today to help to destroy uh, this damaging area in our relationships. So let's get right into it. How our fears ruin our relationships. The number one is, you can write this down on your sheets, my fear of exposure makes me distant. My fear of exposure makes me distant. Why, why can't I get close to people? Is a question that comes up here. I'd like to be closer with my wife or my husband. I'd like to be closer in intimacy, um, that that passionate intimacy that we can have. I want to get close to someone in my life. But ultimately, it's the fear of exposure that makes me distant. Here's the truth. There's a lot in you that you don't like. There is a lot in you that you don't like is that true ladies there's a lot in you and on you that you don't like many of many of the ladies that i know wear makeup to cover up something men there's something in you that you don't like and and you you're pursuing looking fit and healthy and something like that for example but ultimately we all know that if you took your top off you've probably got a bit of a dad bod like me true there's something in us physically we don't like it's the same relationally it's the same emotionally and mentally there's something in us that we don't like and the fear of that keeps us distant because we don't want to expose the secrets of our hearts is that right when you get close to people they see you warts and all is that right You don't like it about you, and because you don't like it about you, you certainly don't want anyone else to see you. The things that you don't accept about you, you have a fear will not be accepted by others, so you want to keep your distance. Genesis uh, 3, verse 9 to 10 says this. God called to Adam... Why are you hiding? Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The reality here is God knows before he asks, doesn't he? God knew where Adam was. He knew he was hiding in the trees. God knew that they had eaten the fruit. God knew that he knew he was naked. God knew that shame instantly came into his life. God knew that Adam and Eve tried to distance themselves from their father. So why did he bother asking? Because ultimately God wants us to admit our failings. He wants us to own up to these things. If I'm always trying to cover the failure inside of me, then I'm never going to be open and exposed enough to push into the relationships that God wants me to have. It's the same with the relationship between Adam and Eve. If he didn't own up to what he had done wrong, there would have been even more separation between God and them. Any transformation in any area of your life, including relationships, only happens when you own up to the fact that they aren't what they ought to be. As long as you think, I've got a great marriage, it's not going uh, to get any better. As long as you think that you've got great friendships, they're not going to get any better. As long as you're in denial, there's no recovery. There's no transformation. And that is why I ask each of you to raise your hands at the start. Because before God and in prayer, you all said, hey, I'm in relationships, and B, I've got problems in them. So we have to own up to the fact that we are in relationships that got, have got problems and the first place that we can own up to this very fact has to be between you and God. Just like Adam had to own up to his problem. I want you to circle that phrase on your book, on your page there that says, I was afraid and I hid. Because that's the very first thing that keeps us from getting deeper in relationship. I was afraid and I hid. Fear always causes you to hide. The question that we need to ask ourselves before God today is what am I hiding from because of fear what am I pretending not to know what are the uh, what are you pretending isn't a problem in your relationships whatever relationship you're in God doesn't want you to fake it he wants you to face it and come to terms with your fears when you're afraid of nakedness afraid of vulnerability, afraid of being open, afraid of being honest, afraid of letting people see you for who you really are, then your fear of exposure makes you distant. Did you all know that love is one of your basic needs? We've we've all got the basic need of oxygen. We've all got the basic need of drinking water. We've all got the basic need of eating a little bit of food telling myself I only need to eat a little bit of food. Um, We've all got those basic needs for our physical health. Well, for our entire health, the holistic point of view, love is our deepest need. I want you to notice the damage that fear does to a relationship when there's no love. See, Adam's view was, I've now cut off love. He knew what he'd done. He knew the result. He knew he was going to die, know the result of what that would look like, but he knew ultimately that he'd cut off himself from a God of love. So he was naked, afraid, and in hiding. There are three phases here that I want to just highlight quickly. The first phase is this, shame. That's verse 7. It says, They suddenly felt shame at their Nakedness. Once they disobeyed God, the first thing that entered their relationship was shame. When you carry shame, you are easily embarrassed. When you carry shame, you fear embarrassment almost more than anything else. And you will do almost anything in your life to avoid embarrassment it's why sometimes i'm guilty of oversharing because i'm 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 extending the fact that i'm trying to nullify any effects of shame in my life does that make sense cuz i don't want to give shame a foothold it's easy to do i've done it many 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 times in my life i still struggle with it at times so i bring it out into the open So that there can be nothing that the enemy can say that you're a shameful person. So fear is often based in shame. True? Shame makes me feel uh, more self-conscious. Shame makes me more nervous. Shame brings anxiety into my life. Shame makes me fearful of being humiliated. And I'm going to avoid that at all costs because I don't want shame to be in my life. So this is phase one. The second phase is is cover up. Phase two is cover up. What happens is when I feel ashamed or when you feel ashamed, we try to conceal who we are, which is our true selves. The second part of verse 7 says, so they sowed fig leaves to cover up themselves. You ever seen the size of a fig leaf? How big are they? About that big? I'd need a lot of fig leaves to cover up my nakedness, wouldn't I? Yeah, you imagine how many they had to sew together to cover themselves up so that they weren't exposed. And then think about it: fig leaves are actually an itchy thing. Fig leaves against the skin is probably not a good idea. So, so they didn't acquire all knowledge, did they? They they acquired the desire in themselves to cover up that which was exposed and their nakedness to be hidden. We don't have to use fig leaves anymore, though, do we? When we think about our lives and our relationships and the way we want to present ourselves, we don't have to use fig leaves to cover ourselves up anymore. Some people use humour. Um, we'd all know the class clown. If, if you were the class clown, maybe you should raise your hand and say, that was me. We use humour sometimes to keep people at a distance and to cover up the fact that there's some shame in our life. Okay. Sometimes we, we try and deal with situations, and then we're like, "Oh no, it's okay we're just, just making a joke of it making light heart. we, we can use humor but but I think of uh, this morning I was thinking as I was preaching about it in the first service, and what came to mind was uh, you think of the funny men and women in our, in our lives in, in, in say in the media or even even in entertainment and, and I thought straight away of of Robin Williams what a what a shame that the world lost a beautiful man like that in that context, but that you use humour to hide the very things that were going on underneath in his life, and it cost him his life. And this is the danger, that if we're continually using something to cover up who we are, then it eats away at us at an emotional level, and sometimes you can go into that spiral where you don't think you can ever get out. So some people use humour, other people... Uh, they, they, they like to present or portray themselves with a certain image. They hold their stature up really high. They wear, they wear the right clothes. They've got the right jewellery on. They're wearing the right sunglasses. They're, they're wearing the right shoes. They're driving the right car. They're eating the right food. They, they, they might have just gotten onto the right fad diet. You know They walk in with their, with their beautiful bottle and they've got their quinoa salad and, and they're presenting this thing of everything's all together in their life. That's like a fig leaf. Because deep down they're having difficulties in their relationships too. Or or then just jump straight into social media. My Insta story or my, my pictures that I want to put up. My selfies of myself. How perfect they've got to be. Because I've got to present an image to the world that says in this moment, right now, everything is perfect in my life. And, and I've seen guys and girls, it's not just ladies, I don't want to pick on the ladies, but I've seen the, the person on the, on the park bench trying to get the perfect shot and they'll take a hundred images until they got the right exposure of sun and the right position of their lips looking like a duck and, and all that sort of stuff, just so they can portray this image to the world that, that, that everything's okay in their life. And all they're doing, Ultimately, it's covering up shame. And they're actually heaping coals on themselves because then they go and check it and they want to see how many likes they've got on their photo and how popular they are. And that they're trying to make a difference in someone's life by showing that they're doing really well. But ultimately, it's a cover-up of really what's going on in their life. So there's a warning there. It's actually stop pretending you've got a perfect life in any form of media, any form of portrayal of your life. You're just faking it and it's revealing fears in your life to those who know you. So then there's a th- third phase. We remove uh, so we move from shame to cover up to this very third phase, which is this. Distance from God. Everyone say it with me. Distance from God. I've run from God before. Do you know that? I ran a long way from God. Long, long way from God. meant I ran a long, long way from God's people. I meant I ran a long, long way from God's church. I know what it's like to let shame rule your life and to separate you from God. And I could justify it and say, well, you know what? I prayed to God every now and then. I wasn't really separate. But the shame affected my relationship with God affected the relationship I had with people around me and it drew me away from God's call for my life. So shame will distance you from God. We see that in verse 8, don't we? Where, um, where it says, Then they hid from God among the trees. Straight away they see that they hid from God from among the trees. This causes us... Now, not only to be disconnected from other people, and that's why we have relationship problems with others, but we're disconnected from God, and that's why we have a relationship problem with God. We not only start fearing other people, but we start fearing God out of our shame. And that's not what God wants. It was never His intention. And we can see that from the lead up to reading Genesis chapter 3. He never wanted anything to separate us from Him. So it comes to this point. God doesn't expect you to be perfect, but He does expect you to be honest. Does that make sense? God expects us to be honest. So the first fear is this fear of being exposed. That was your number one point there, wasn't it? Fear of being exposed. And that causes me, in the end, to go from shame to cover up, it's a distance from God because I'm fearful that something in my life is going to be exposed. It can happen in your relationships. It'll keep you distance from your spouse. It'll keep you distant from your children. It'll keep you distance from your friends because shame has gotten in. The second thing is this. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. So we move from simply hiding and running and covering up to now being defensive and we start attacking other people back. We're not just hiding anymore, we're now hurling. We could be hurling stones, we could be hurling abuse, we could be hurling um, any kind of thing at someone because we have a fear of being disapproved. We're not just hiding, we're now hurling. We're not just excusing ourselves, we're accusing others. In this stage, when I have this fear of disapproval, I start pointing fingers at everybody else. And you'll hear people say things like, but you did that. You did this. Or you did that. That's moving from hiding to hurling, from excusing to accusing. The more critical a person is, The more you know, they fear disapproval. I'll let that one sit for a moment and I'll say it again. The more critical a person is, the more you know they fear disapproval. The more critical, the more perfectionistic, the more attacking somebody else, uh, they're always putting someone else down, the more you know that person fears disapproval. Because that's the way it shows up. The more I fear disapproval in my life, the more I'm going to point at other people and all of that what they're doing wrong. Commentators in the football do this. They get critical. Uh, preachers are guilty of doing this. Around the world, it's a it, there's 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 atrocities happening because because people who are fearful of being disapproved of in their own ministry, are trying their hardest to discredit and pull down other ministries because they have a lack of understanding about it. And what happens in the church, we buy into it because we follow a name instead of following Christ. So we follow these these great preachers and all that sort of stuff, and that's fine, that's awesome. But then when they start getting critical... they start pulling down other ministries you've got to say well hang on what's going on in their life why are they trying to pinpoint why are they fearing disapproval and for me if i'm going to be cynical about it ultimately it's probably because their giving's down so they're trying to keep people on their side for example so so there's this fear of disapproval and and being not acknowledged and all this sort of stuff so they'll attack someone else and you know if you're partnering in with that accusation, then you're actually partnering with the accuser of the brethren. And who is that? The enemy, Satan, the accuser of the brethren. It's what Satan actually means. He's the one who brings accusation. So so we've got to be careful in our criticalness of people. Firstly, we know, should go to God about ourselves before we bring any accusation on anyone else. And our accusations should always be brought in what? In love, in grace, in being able to help people out and up instead of pushing them down and accusing them. Because all of that comes from this place of disapproval in your own life. Amen? So we see that in the verse, don't we? God said, or God asked, Did you eat what I told you not to eat? And Adam answered, You gave me this woman, she gave me the fruit. Mm -hmm. Say it like this. You gave me this woman and she gave me the fruit. Changes the context right away, doesn't it? We don't know how Adam said it. We don't know if he said it in fear or an accusation, but we do know that it ultimately is an accusation, don't we? He blamed his wife. And he blamed, ultimately, God for his error, for his sin. Instead of taking it like a man, he blamed his wife. Well, actually, maybe he did take it like a man. Because, guys, sometimes we tend to blame our wives for our problems. Hmm? He took it like a broken man. But Adam's not the only one blaming here, is he? Eve's also blaming somebody. So ladies, we don't get off scot-free on all of that at all. Because Eve said, the snake tricked me into eating. It's very simple to say I was tricked to do something. I remember, the, you know, someone asked me to do it. Yes, I did it because I was asked to do it. Well, if someone asked you to jump off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? You remember your parents saying that one to you? Got that one all the time? Probably I wouldn't. Yeah, you, you cock it, eh, Tom? That's right. So, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So, Adam blames his wife and Eve blames the snake. Great. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. True? My fear of exposure makes me distant and my fear of disapproval makes me defensive. How are we all going? Getting there? Cool. Point three. Hopefully I'm getting there. My fear of losing control makes me demanding. Control and demands. They go hand in hand, don't they? The result of Adam and Eve's sin is they lost control. They lost control of everything. They lost control of their future. They lost control of their destiny. They got kicked out of paradise. Now they're feeling totally out of control. But the fact of the matter is, control wasn't theirs in the first place. Was it? The fear of losing control came because they sinned. The control was actually all in God's hands. Their life was submitted completely under God until sin entered the world. So sin, control and demands are actually all linked. Let me say it this way, the more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. True? I, I even notice this in my own life. If I feel like things are chaotic, then I sometimes get demanding and I tell my kids and I tell Jamie, for example, who's over in America at the moment, I tell him and I get a little bit demanding and then I've got to go back in and knock on his office and say, man, I was sorry, I, I was probably out of control there. will you forgive me? I've done that a few times. We all do it, okay? So the fear of being out of control makes us demanding. If you're a very secure person, though, you don't need to always have your own way. Is that true? So insecurity is linked to control. Insecurity is linked to demands. Insecurities come from this sin consciousness. This is what happens in verse 16. I like this verse. You'll have a yearning for your husband, but he will lord it over you. I like it not because of what it's implying. I like it because it helps me understand what has happened in humanity throughout history. Yes, there is desire one for another. But yes, in a man's life, there is this desire that is inherent within them now because of sin to lord it over someone or something. True? True? It helps us understand, this verse helps us understand that that which God intended as Eve was taken from the side, not from the feet, she was taken from the side, that which God intended has now been broken and now there is, there is brokenness in relationship right through every relationship because of it. And this is where the war of the sexes began. This is why women are from Venus and men are from Mars because it all comes from this one verse. Right there, all the understanding between men and women and husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, all the confusion, all the conflict, all the joking, all the power and position, all the tit for tat, all of this for that, all the bargaining and who's going to be in control of this and who's going to run that, all this goes back to this situation with sin. When you're not cooperating, you're competing. Is that true? So what's the antidote? There's an antidote for these three areas. The antidote is this. The antidote is love. The antidote is love. Learn to live in God's love. Learn to live in God's love. That's the antidote to these three things. Verse uh 18 of 1 John 4 says it this way. Somewhere along the way. Here we go. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Because God's perfect love drives out what? All fear. God's perfect love drives out all fear. You've got to get God's love into the situation. Husbands and wives, get God's love into the center of your marriage. Friends, get God's love into the center of your friendships. Employees, employers, get God's love into the center of your relationships. Mums and dads and children, get God's love into the center of your relationships. Because God's love is perfect love, drives out all fear. We've talked before about the opposite of fear and faith and all those sorts of things before, but there's another opposite. The opposite of fear is also love because it it actually, love, will drive out fear. Amen? When you invite God's love into your life, when you ask Him to take the reins of your heart, fear must go. If fear is evident in your life, it means you've somewhere got the reins in trying to drive your life. Because if you truly submit yourself to God and you ask His perfect love to come into your life, it should drive out all fear. That's what that verse says. God's perfect love drives out all fear. Amen? So we've got to learn to live in God's love. Amen? The second part of this verse says this. It is the thought of punishment or negative consequences that makes a person fearful. Is the thought of punishment that makes you fearful? Is God going to punish you? Believers in the house, is God going to punish you? Okay. So this is why God's perfect love casts out all fear. Because there is no fear of judgment anymore. Amen? But we can have fear of judgment one to another. And that's what we're talking about. If God's love is what is at the center of our relationship. Then it should purge the fears out of our relationships. Amen? To learn to live in God's love. Because it also drives away those negative consequences in your life. This, this whole sense of, uh, of punishment and, and negative consequences, this whole sense, the negative consequences are that it continually loops over in my mind. It loops over and goes over like it's always on play. Always on repeat, just continuing negatively, eating at my life until I deal with that area, area or error in my life. So let's 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 make that a commitment that we allow God's love to come in to our life. Amen. It's it's the very thing. Fear is the very thing that keeps us from holding back, into pressing in deeper into a relationship, whether it's a, a spouse relationship, whether it's a a friend relationship, whether it's a work, the fear keeps us back from pressing in. We, we never actually open ourselves up hundred percent to another person. But when God's in the middle of that, that should be the ultimate game goal. because there should be a complete unity at play in the dynamics of our relationship. Every day I surrender, every day I remember, and every day I offer to God what needs to happen. Amen? To so learn to live in God's love. So these are the things. Number one, this will help you to live in God's love. This is no good. It's no good to understand that God is love without applying his love to the realm of our life. So how do I apply God's love? How do I live in the truth? And how do I let God's love transform the way that I think and the way that I approach relationships? The first one is this. Every day, surrender my heart to God. I must surrender my heart to God. The heart is the center of your emotions, yeah? So it comes to this place that I must submit my emotions. I must submit my mind. I must submit my will to God and his love so that he can overflow me and change or transform the way I think about the things that I'm in. Why? With the very fact that God is love. If God is love, then he wants to express that love in your life. Remember I said that right at the start. Love must look like something. It's no good just saying that I love you unless I show you that I love you. I can say i love you a thousand times so the cows come home if i don't show you that i love you then i'll never will never ever ever be communicating at the same level and god is love so he wants to show you how much he loves you and that'll only happen as you submit yourself to god and surrender your heart to god every day god show me what your love looks like god heal this area of my emotions god Help me to transform what I think about myself so I'm not projecting my fears and my shame and my failures onto the relationships that I have. Only God can fix that. Only God can renew the way you think. Your husband can't do that. Your boss can't do that. Your teachers can't do that. Your parents can't do that. Your wife can't do that. None of that can be done by anyone else except God. So by surrendering to God and surrendering your heart to Him, you are able see that love will win the day. Amen? Love will win the day. I didn't get to this passage in the last service. But I think I might this time. Is that okay? There's a really good passage of scripture I want to read to you. I want you to read it at home as well. It's Job chapter 11. It says this. I think Teresa read it in the worship. Um, Job chapter 11, it says, uh, Surrender your heart to God, turn to Him in prayer, and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. True? So You sit on the side of your bed and you surrender to God. You start to talk to Him. You pray to Him. Then, remember the premise and the promise? Here's the promises. It tells us to do three things. And then there are eight promises attached to this one piece of scripture. Surrender to God. Turn to him in prayer and give up your sins. And look at this. You won't be ashamed. Well, that's a good one straight up. You will be confident and fearless. Who wants to be confident and fearless? Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge. And your darkest night will be brighter than noon. Then you'll rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry. Isn't that a powerful scripture? I think we should all read that scripture every day this week and see what what God does as we surrender our hearts to him. Wouldn't that be a testimony? Just a little advertisement to give you a break for a moment. Just switch into advertisement mode. Uh, We need testimonies, okay? Who's enjoying transformed at the moment? Yeah. Good. Some half of you are. That's fantastic. Awesome. Who's in a grow group doing the transformation stuff, yeah? Awesome. Fantastic. Which means more than half of you are having a good time getting something, hearing from God each day. Is that right? So we're in an advertisement moment. The advertisement is we need testimonies. Woo. Right? Because... We want to glorify God for what He's doing in your life. You hear my testimony every week or, or the pastors or, or Micah as they share. It's all that sort of stuff. You hear that. But we want to hear yours. So after Transform's finished, the very next week, we're going to have a celebration service and we're going to celebrate what God's done. So you need to tell your Grow Group leaders a testimony of what God's doing in your life through this program, a breakthrough that you've had. And your Grow Group leaders are going to let Amy and James know and they're going to get you organized so that on the celebration day in this service and the early service, we're going to give you the microphone and you're going to testify what God's done in your life. Does it sound like awesome? something awesome to do? Why? Because you're partnering with God in transformation and he needs to receive the glory back. Amen? All right, advertisement over. we Are we awake? So go and apply Job chapter 11 to your life. Think about it. Pray through it. And say, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. And because of such, I know these promises are going to be in my life. And thank Him for those promises. Amen. So surrender your heart to God. Give up your emotions to Him. And give your heart. Do it every day. See what God does. Test Him in this. See how He goes. Three, three things it has said there. Eight benefits. I reckon that's pretty awesome. So the second one is this I not only surrender. Every day I remember the way God loves me. Every day I remember the way God loves me. Do you know God loves you? How much does God love you? How much does God love you? I don't know if I asked one of my little kids. If I asked Hamish how much he'd love me, he'd go, "I love you this much." So you sure you don't only love me this much? No, I love you this much, and then he'd come and he'd give me a big hug. Is that true? Who's got kids that have done that? You've grown up with children. You've had that. Same conversation. Well, the fact of the matter is God loves you this much. We know the image. It's the nails in the hands and the nails in the feet. How much he loves you was that he gave give up his life for you. He loves you so much. So let's look at these four things really quickly. How much he loves you. He shows you how much he loves you by saying these things about you and helping you understand this is your reality. Firstly, that you are completely accepted. So you write that down. I'm completely accepted. Accepted. Don't just write it down. How about we all say it? I am completely accepted. It's important to understand that you are accepted in God because the deepest wounds of your life are those caused by this one thing, and it's called rejection. The deepest wounds in your life are from rejection and the very fact that Jesus took upon himself your rejection because he was despised and rejected on your behalf. And because of that, you are now accepted in him. Amen? Only God can do that transformation in your life. He can heal your rejections because he took them upon himself. The second one, or actually, the scripture that's attached to that is this scripture. Uh, Titus 3 7. Jesus made us acceptable to God. Isn't that awesome? Jesus made you acceptable to God. I like this one. The next one is this. I'm this. Write it down. I am unconditionally loved. Say that to your neighbor. You are unconditionally loved. Nah, it's not loud enough. Come on. Say it to your neighbor. Say it like you mean it. You are unconditionally loved, Nick. You are unconditionally loved. All right? Isn't that a great truth to hang on to? You know, we can say lots and lots and lots of things about God's love. We can spend sermon after sermon after sermon talking about it. But the fact of the matter is God loves you, period. Not by what you've done, not by what you're going to do. He loves you because He loves you. It's that simple. And when you start to confess God's love over your life purges you of fear. It purges you of this desire to be distant from Him. And when you're, when you're beginning to press into God, the overflow of that is that you will become benefited in your relationships to the, better, to the positive. Isaiah 54.10 says it this way. It says, My love for you will never end, says the Lord. Isn't that amazing? A God who is ever-present, ever-existent, who will always be, says that my love for you will never end. It's as long as he is. He will always be. I'm totally forgiven is the third one. I'm totally forgiven. So why am I carrying shame? Why am I holding on to shame? Why have I made it my little bedfellow? Really? I'm totally forgiven. Romans 8.1. Getting through it real quickly now is this there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? No condemnation, which means fear and shame has no part in your life. Jesus paid it all. And the last one is this I am considered extremely valuable. I am considered extremely valuable. I remember when I was selling my—I was trying to sell my car, and at the time the market value was about sixteen and a half thousand dollars, and I put fifteen thousand on it, thinking you know it might go, someone might be able to pay that, and it might be okay. So uh, I remember that I put it on Facebook, because you know we all put our stuff on Facebook nowadays. Who goes and buys an ad in the paper? And uh, this guy had the hide to send me a personal message and offer me nine thousand dollars. The value of something is placed upon the item by the person who owns it. True? But also, the value of something is by the amount that someone would like to pay for that item. So I could say that my house is worth a million dollars to me, but if someone's only able to pay me, or only desiring to pay me $220,000 for it, then guess what? Somewhere in there, one of us are delusional. And in my case, it's probably me. Right? So, the value of something is placed upon it by the owner and the value of something is also placed upon something by what the person willing to pay for it is willing to pay. True? Well, here's a nice little fun fact for you. When Jesus died for you and you said yes to him and you invited him into your life, you gave up the right to your life, and he owns you. Hallelujah. So he gets to tell you how much you're worth. Pastor Rodney said that he's worth $2.8 trillion. I'm not talking about the value of your, <laughs> you know, of what you're worth. I think, actually, if you take it down, there is a figure. If you boil down the sum of a human being, I think it's like $2.80 because of the carbon and all that sort of stuff that's made up in you. If you put it all down to the elements that you are, it's like $2.80. But because Jesus purchased you sorry, because Jesus you said yes to Jesus, he now gets the right to say what you're valued at. You don't have a right in that anymore. And the second one is the price he paid so that you would say yes to him cost him everything. So you're not just valued by what he says, you're valued by what he did he was willing to give up everything so that you could say yes to him. Isn't that beautiful? So guess what? You don't have the right to say that you're full of shame and that you're undervalued and that you're worthless. Maybe someone told you you were worthless, but Jesus is saying that you are more valuable to him than anything, even his own life. Isn't that amazing? Only God gets the right to tell you how much you're worth because he not only created you, he paid for you. You surrendered that, right, when you said yes to him. It's like this. You've been bought and paid for by Christ's death. 1 Corinthians 7.23. Isn't that a good word? You've been bought and paid for. Bought and paid for by Christ's death. Hmm. I want to finish with this verse... 1 Corinthians 13.7. Ah, hang on. Last point. We missed a point. Point three. Is that right? Point three. Keep me on track. Here's the third thing. First one is I surrender. Second one is I remember. And the third one is this. Every day I offer the same love to others. Remember love looks like something? You remember that? I offer that same love that I've received and the same value that God says I'm worth, the same respect, the same forgiveness, the same whatever it is that I've received, I have to offer that to other people. Because if I don't, guess what? My relationships are going to be broken. And that then falls upon me, no one else. The Bible says it this way. I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you, John 13:34. It's not an option. It's not the great suggestion, is it? It's the great commands of Jesus. If you're a follower of a Christ. You must love everybody. Period. Even if they're nasty. Even if they hurt you. Even if they steal from you. You must love them. This is not me. It's the word of God. You must do it. I struggle with this every day as well. We must love everybody. We, we must love, uh, sorry, we must offer love to people. We must offer forgiveness to people. And above all, in all of this, we must offer acceptance to people because that's what Jesus offered us. So we, we must do this not in our own strength, but in the strength God gives us. And it will transform your relationships. Amen? Romans fifteen seven, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. I love that scripture. Just as Christ accepted you. In concluding this last verse is 1 Corinthians thirteen, seven. Love never stops being patient. Love never stops believing. Love never stops hoping. Love never gives up. Can I invite the band to come back if you're here, guys? Love never stops being patient. Love never stops hoping. Love never gives up. How about you circle the four nevers? Love never stops being patient. That means love extends grace. Love extends grace where you must extend grace. It extends grace to people love never stops being patient love never stops believing that means it expresses faith it never stops it says that i believe in you amen i know we've had this tough time i know we're going through the trials now my relationship is difficult with you at the moment I, but, but I'm patient with you and I love you and I'm going to be kind to you because together, if we like that with each other, we're going to navigate the trials and the tests in our relationship. And I believe that we can do it and I won't stop believing in you. Love extends grace and expresses faith. Love expects the best, it never stops hoping. Isn't that cool? So are you expecting the best in your relationships? Then it begins here. If you want the best marriage you can ever have, then you must extend love. If you want the best relationship with your families, honour and love go hand in hand, don't they? If you want the best relationship with you and your boss, then you've got to offer love into that situation. Stop being defensive in that area. How about you today? Why don't you stand to your feet as I close in prayer and as the band begins to play? I oh, want to pray together. Because our relationships, we all admitted it, we have trouble with them. Our relationships, we all admitted it, we all have them. Our relationships are, we must make a commitment. We must make a commitment to let the love of God be the center of our life. We must make a commitment to let the love of God be at the center of our relationships. Because if it's not, we're all going to struggle in them. When we offer grace, when grace is needed, when we offer kindness, instead of what we think has happened, we listen and we allow the person to tell us what has actually happened. We, we guard our hearts and we don't let offense come in because it's already full of the presence of God's love in our life. Doesn't that sound Amazing. It sounds a little bit to me like heaven, yeah. And as the church, we we're meant to be coming to this place, ever conforming, ever becoming more like our Savior Jesus Christ, that we would see the answers to our prayers. That would be, Lord, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And every one of us has a role to play in that. And it begins today by praying with me. So you want to pray with me, put your hands on your heart. Just just agree with me to the Lord in your, in your mind as I say these things. And then in the middle of it, in the middle of it, I'll get you to say after me. Dear God, I admit that I've made a mess in my relationships. They're complicated. They're broken. They're not the best. I've often settled for less then the best and the need my trans that my relationships need your transformation i'd like you to begin by changing me deliver me from these three fears that i've learned about today i can see how they make me distant and defensive and even demanding so today and each day from now on i want to surrender my heart to you i'm doing this right now lord jesus I surrender my heart to you. If you want to surrender your heart to Jesus, then say this with me. Jesus, I surrender my heart to you. I want to learn to live my life in your love. Filled with your love. Please replace my shame with your love. When I'm afraid to let others see the real me, remind me of how you see me. Thank you that you accept me completely. Thank you that you love me unconditionally. And help me to forgive others totally, just as you've forgiven me. Lord, help me to value other people with the same value that you value me. Lastly, why don't you say this with me? Dear God, I want to be known as a loving person. I want to be a great lover. So help me to extend grace to the people around me. And help me to express faith in the people around me. And help me to expect the best in the people around me. And Lord Jesus, help me to endure the worst when it happens. I want to live my life in love. And I humbly ask this in Jesus' name. It's just fitting that we're going to sing this song. Amen talking about love of God, how recklessly God loves us. Today, as we conclude our service, we'll have uh, something to eat and something to drink. But let's finish on a high as we thank God for His reckless love in pursuing us. Amen? Thanks, Caitlin.
1: So, so.
0: your hands on their shoulder because the band sing the bridge over us today why don't you just move over and just put your hand on their shoulder and begin to pray for them remember I said love looks like something why not action it now why not just take the opportunity to pray a blessing over that person today So, just as the band begins to sing the bridge just begin to pray right now Lord Jesus I pray for my friend pray for my brother i pray for my sister i pray for someone just begin to thank god for their life and, and and just release over them the love of god do so from a heart that says yes god i have received good love and great love from you lord let me be known as that lover that i've asked to be today so lord jesus we conclude this service with an action that says yes to your command. Thank you that you've forgiven us and now we can step out in the fullness of your grace and the power of your love to lead others into this same reality. Thank you for your love that has chased us down, that has captivated our hearts, Today, we want to be people that would release that over our community. So we declare in your mighty name, thank you, Jesus. Amen. There's
1: no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down. shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no